0: This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's covered. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. No, no. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships.
1: Oregon. When this has become...
0: When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns it! Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an-
1: man it feels great to be a duck welcome to the qb11 show presented by scoop duck with doug andrew and j-hop here are the guys with the latest scoop hello and welcome back in once again to the qb11 show presented by scoop duck i am doug scott and i'm joined of course by andrew qb11 how are you today I'm doing good. That uh, Florida State LSU
0: game was a nice cap to my Sunday afternoon, or night, or whatever it is now. Night.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, we just got done watching that. Well, not together, but individually we got done watching that and uh, hopped on here to do our post-week recording, but the intensity in that game, I mean, that was everything you want in a big-time game, right? Like, it looked like two, two heavyweights going at it, especially in the first half. You know, Florida State obviously pulled away late, and we'll talk more about the game later, but the the intensity in the game and the physicality and like the just just watching that game you are like okay these are they, these are two big time programs with elite talent and you could just tell yeah you could like that was
0: the first game this weekend i i didn't get much of a chance to watch unc south carolina frankly like my viewing this weekend wasn't all that great i was at a birthday thing all day yesterday um and so but like from just going into the weekend, this was the game where I felt like, okay, this is the most big-time matchups in terms of athlete-on-athlete athlete where you have really high-end NFL prospects kind of littering the field. And, and that game delivered in a lot of the ways that we kind of expected. So um, awesome game. The I'm really happy with the outcome, obviously, because I had a rather l- well large-for-me position on, on Florida State money line. So um, that makes you happy as, as a better, but – Overall, it's a fun weekend of college football, and I think that this Florida State LSU game really got me excited for the for the matchups to come.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure, and and uh, obviously, I was uh, I was on the wrong side of that one when we get to our picks, which we'll talk about later. But um, you know, overall, let's we're going to talk a little bit about Oregon. Obviously, they're eighty-one to seven. A uh, beatdown of Portland State, and then we'll uh, we'll go around the country and around the Pac-12 with our picks and discuss each of those games and whatever level of detail we decide is necessary. And then, of course, we'll end up the show with our um, you know Week One Pac-12 Power Rankings. Sounds so good. let's so... start with the Oregon game. Um, you know, maybe just obviously, I think we we talked a little bit about you know what what do you want to see coming into a game right like this right, and it's like take care of business, no major injuries clear your bench, and kind of operationally be clean. And I mean, four for four, right? Yeah, I think um, I'm pulling up the –
0: I should have had this pulled up already. I apologize. Uh, But I just wanted to see from a penalty standpoint, like Oregon had two penalties for 20 yards in the game. Um, Operationally, it was really clean. Offense, defense gave up one drive, really, um, early in the game defensively. After that, they didn't do hardly anything. And in the second half, I think they had 50 yards, which I think says a lot about – kind of what what they were able to do as they kind of settled into the game and then also how the depth performed once they got into the game and got an opportunity to play. So uh, really pleased with that overall. And I think that, like, offensively when you score 81 points and you only punt one time and you're getting points on every possession and primarily getting touchdowns and there's not turnovers, I think that's about as clean as you could ask. And I think that uh, any questions about how – Oh, Nick's would transition over to this Will Stein offense. I think we're answered in large part just based on how familiar or his 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 strength in the scheme and his familiarity and his command because um, he seemed more comfortable than he did at any point last year. Now, again, really outmatched opponent. We get to see what it looks like next week on the road at Tech, um, and I anticipate that there might be some more issues operationally next week. But um, as it stands today, I think, game one against an inferior opponent that's about as emphatic of a win as you could you could want
1: yeah absolutely i i thought you know hey, shout out to ross james who who was the punter on that one punt i think there was um i think most speculation was probably around the the australian luke dunn getting getting the nod but it went to ross james and he i think he booted at 57 yards so 58 probably... yeah he smoked that thing yeah, probably better than any punt we saw at any point in time last year. So, you know, I, I never want to see the punter, but when he does come in, the fact that he he delivered a strong punt is is good. So shout out to that. Um, you know, just going back to, you know, some of the questions around what does the depth chart look like? What's the rotation look like? Who's starting? Maybe we'll just kind of walk through some of those things. You know, obviously there are some players who didn't play in the game. So that kind of changes things, including some guys who are projected to be in the rotation. So... Uh, Nashad Struther, as expected, did not play. So, we don't know if he would have been a starter or not. I guess we'll find out where he, when he comes back to healthy, where he fits into the rotation. But it, the, as expected, it was Josh Connerly, Marcus Harper, uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, uh, Stephen Jones at right guard, and, and then, um, you know, uh, Johnny Cornelius at right tackle. Looks like Angelow got in kind of late in the game at right guard for a little bit of work. I'm not sure if that was. His spot in the rotation, or maybe he's still working his way back to full health, and they're just kind of giving him a few reps here. Um, And then, kind of, Poncho got in at center and guard, I think. And I think you were impressed by what you saw out of Poncho, weren't you?
0: Yeah. Again, I'm I'm still working my way through the game. I didn't hear that the uh, ESPN box score just started up and added my ear. Um, I haven't had a chance to rewatch the whole game yet. I'm I'm through the first half and just. Again, instant reactions against an inferior opponent. But for a true freshman guard, I thought he played really well. Um, heavy hands plays under good balance and control already, which a lot of times when like guys get in early in their careers, they just get out over their toes and they're lunging and they're just trying to they're just trying to kill guys instead of actually playing with good like mechanics and, and technical uh fundamentals. And so it was good to see him get out there, play with heavy hands, but stay balanced uh and, and sustain blocks. So I, I was very pleased with what I saw from from Poncho and, and actually really a lot of the guys along the offensive line, the whole rotation um, again, they dominated in the way you would expect, right? Oregon average 10 yards a carry throughout the game, not just one guy. So,
1: yeah, that's a good segue into something we were talking about in the pregame and and I was very, very pleased on both sides of the ball, right? Like we've seen Oregon in in these matchups in the last five, six years when, you you know, against an FCS or a lower tier group of five opponent, right? Like this, we've seen the starters like run away with the game and then kind of the second line or third line kind of not be able to move the ball on offense or not be able to stop the other team on defense. And I was really encouraged to see, you know, we saw second string, third string guys on both sides of the ball who really there, there was no notable drop off in performance, right? Like, uh, you know, the uh, the fifth string running back is you know driving for six, seven yards, scoring touchdowns. You know, the fourth string running back, same thing. The, the the offensive line with second and third third unit guys were getting getting off the ball, getting you know push, getting. And again, it's Portland State, but it's though you know two or three years ago against an FCS team, you didn't see that. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball the freshman defensive lineman that got in there late in the game. I mean, those dudes just look different, man. And they didn't give up nothing. They didn't, they didn't give up nothing on there.
0: No. And it's important to note that like, I know a lot of people immediately knee jerk to look at the box score and they say, Oh, there was no sacks. This was a failure. The pass rush still sinks. That's Portland state really didn't drop back to throw the ball. I mean, they were five for 14 and I i can count the number of strike or attempts down downfield past past the uh, sticks on one hand, right like there was three or four real true dropbacks and and I'm pretty sure we got hits or displaced the quarterback on each and every one of them so um I'm not ready to judge the pass rush yet I want to see what we look like against against Texas Tech, which is a team that's going to run some actual traditional true five step stuff um and and then we can we'll have a better idea of if the pass rush is still going to be a major problem this year if it's something that's been at least partially addressed.
1: Yeah, it certainly felt like, and I I didn't go through the the play by play again, but watching the game live, it felt like from about the mid second quarter until the mid fourth quarter, it felt like Portland State didn't even attempt a pass. It just felt like they were content to run it up the middle three times and and then punt. Even on third and third and seven, third and eight, they were just running, like just run and oh. punt. I you know, they, there was very little opportunity after the first the- half or so.
0: In the scheme of their season, this game doesn't mean anything. And so for them, it's like, all right, let's just keep our starting quarterback in one piece because it's going to be really important to have him for them down the stretch.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then when they started throwing again late in the game, it was with their backup quarterback. So I think, like you said, it was very limited opportunity. I, you know, we saw a little bit of pass rush, but, you know, hard to tell much of this game. Like, again, next week we'll we'll have a lot more opportunity to judge judge how that pass rush and everything else looked. You know, Kind of going back to some of the other lineups we saw, on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, Justin Jacobs, kind of as expected, did not play. Uh, we saw, you know, plenty of Soli, plenty of Jamal Hill, plenty of uh, Bassa, and and then the freshman uh, Bryce Butcher played quite a bit as well as well as Devin Jackson. So, kind of saw all five of those linebackers in there, um, you know, fairly evenly dispersed uh, playing time. So that was. Did, did anything stand out to you from a linebacker standpoint? uh not so far again i'm through the first half i'm i'm not
0: I, I find like jamal hill and uh Devin jackson specifically are blocking themselves a lot right like i they're not they're not um uh, they're not sifting through the trash particularly well and instinctively at this point um but again it's a small it's a really small sample size i'm not even through a complete game against an fcs opponent so i like, i don't want to draw this is going to sound like a cop out but i don't want to draw too strong of a conclusion from this because it's just not a meaningful enough sample.
1: Yeah. No, I got you there. Uh, you know, one of the things we saw at corners was, was pretty clear who the two deep was at corners, Manning and Jackson started and played, you know, most, I don't say most, but most of the snaps before, you know, we really started heavily rotating in backups and then, um, and then Florence and Traquez were the, for the second unit guys that did that rotated at a fair amount. I think they got about 20 snaps each and Jackson and Manning, I think were around 30 each. And then I, and we even saw the kind of the third unit, which looked to be the two freshmen pleasant and Austin and why well, Austin had just a, again, one play, but just textbook coverage on a sideline play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is probably the deepest, and most talented corner room we've had in a while. Um, you know, cause you go three deep and like, there's still high end prospects, like guys that are, Frankly, might be better prospects long term than the guys in front of him. Um, deep down the depth chart. Um and Triquest Bridges made some nice plays as well. So I, I'm I'm very happy with this corner room. It seems that Dante Manning has really taken a step. I like his physicality, he's a good tackler. Um and Kyrie Jackson really impressed me with his tackling as well.
1: Yeah, he was really physical. He blew up a couple of screenplays and and I think that's what we expected to see from Kyrie. Uh, coming over. Evan Williams at safety sat out, so we saw we saw a lot of Tysheem Johnson, primarily at safety. He did work into the nickel at times, too, the stars, which we expected. He played both safety spots, and then, of course, we saw Brian Addison quite a bit, and, and then a little bit of Steve Stevens coming in as well, so that was kind of the, the safety rotation for this game. Obviously, we expect when Evan Williams is back, uh, which hopefully will be this week at, at Texas Tech, that he'll be in that starting unit as well with uh, probably Brian Addison displaced.
0: Yeah, and I think there was one play in particular. There was the wheel route where Bassett got beat out of the backfield early in the game, and I was just really pleased, like, to see TaiShim Johnson's range getting to the sideline and making a play on the ball. That's a play that doesn't get made a year ago, and so seeing that play even against an inferior opponent, where linebacker kind of drops the ball, gets beat um, on the wheel, and then you have a safety that's able to has has the speed to make up, get over the top, and 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 play the ball. So. Uh, was really pleased with Tysheem Johnson. I thought he tackled well. He he lost his gap assignment a little bit on a, on one of the on their touchdown drive on a run uh, early in the game. But beyond that, I thought he was, he was very scheme sound um, and dependable all the way around.
1: Yeah, I thought he came up and made some good tackles in the run game as well. So in, in the screen game particularly also. So I was I thought Tysheem was I expected him to be a, a difference maker, and I certainly thought he was in in this limited sample of game one. Uh, And defensive line, I guess we didn't talk about that a little bit, but, you know, everyone played tons of depth. Uh, I guess maybe to talk about the freshman, you know, Mateo and Purchase, uh, you know, Mateo, I expected to see a lot of, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see Blake Purchase out there as much as he was early in the game, particularly.
0: Listen, Doug, I'm not going to say that we've been leaders of the, of the uh, Blake Purchase hype train all offseason since he signed, but we kind of have been. And I think it's time to 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 toot our horn about that. Now, um, he was a little excited early. Like There was a play early in the game that I, that I noted where um, his surf technique wasn't great. Like He got up too far upfield, was off balance. I think it was one of those things where it was like one of his very first snaps and um, he was unblocked. And I think he just kind of like – it was one of those things where the, the moment got to him and he didn't rely on his, his mechanics. Uh, and because of that, um, we gave up a little bit of a play there. But as the game went on, I'm seeing him kind of start to settle in. Uh, and I think that he's going to be a good player. And Mateo really impressed me. Like, um, Not to throw shots, but Jake Shipley was getting chewed out after the first play of the game by by Dan, and he was really soft on the edge all day. And Mateo wasn't particularly sturdy on the edge in the spring, but I think you can see what an offseason in the weight room will do for a kid's confidence. He's playing with a lot more physicality. He was setting really hard edges. And then he was also being disciplined with it. He was, he was playing on blocks with patience, getting – playing off with good hands and good leverage and making tackles and so um, Mateo impressed me and I've also really liked what I've seen from his uh, pass rush
1: toolkit so far yeah for sure so I think one of the things we talked about let's go talk about some of the offensive playmakers a little bit obviously Troy uh, Troy was the man, you know, early in this game, early and often. He got seven passes, which is kind of crazy because he only played twenty-four snaps. It's like, and he had a hundred yeah. yards and, and two touchdowns. So yeah, was like studs, like, baby. Yeah, yeah, just you know, yeah. I'll take my two touchdowns and a hundred yards, and I'll go sit on the bench and, and cheer on my teammates. And and Gary Bryant Jr. had a hundred-yard day off the bench as well. And and uh, I thought he looked really good. And, and hey, shout out to Ty Thompson. The pass he threw over the middle to Gary Bryant was you could not have thrown a better pass than that one.
0: I just want to shout out Ty Thompson in general, because I think he's gotten a lot of hate from fans. Some of it's deserved, some of it's not. I think most of it's not. Um, and I was, it was good to see him actually have, like, a really solid performance in garbage time. He looked more confident. Getting him involved in the run game was smart. I just think that the way that Stein managed him once he came into the game, he gave him an opportunity to look good. Uh, whereas I think at times last year, Dillingham went too, too deep into the bag of tricks and, Um, Things got too cutesy when Ty came into the game. So just getting to see him play in the offense, uh, with good playmakers around him, with the start with starting offensive line or some variation of some really talented receivers outside of Franklin, I think was good for both his confidence, but also my confidence in him running the offense. uh, If that was to be the case.
1: Yeah, you you touched on something I was going to say. Is you know oftentimes in the past when we've seen him or any backup quarterback coming to the game, it's right. It's it's either late in the game and they're just handing the ball off, so you're not getting any. You're not really getting them a, a real offense to run, right? It's such a condensed playbook at that point, and the defense knows exactly what's coming. So, and I think uh what you saw here, or or you come in the game and you also come in with a bunch of backups, right? So you're not really again seeing how they could operate with a fully operational, um, you know, team around them. And I, I thought it was really smart the way they when they brought him in. Yeah, they were still had multiple starters in at the skill positions, multiple starters in on the offensive line, and they gave him. They gave him a real playbook to run they gave him, you know real play calls like they would call you know it was early third quarter like they would call any other part of the game and uh, the other thing i i thought that was really smart was you know when Bo was in stein didn't call any any quarterback runs right i mean there might have been a couple of uh kind of screen screen pass options or one or two plays where he had the option to run and he didn't take it but i thought it was really smart too the way he used ty you know i think there was a couple design draws there was a couple other, you know, true kind of, um, you know, inside inside zone or outside zone option reads that you would that we didn't run at all with Bow that we ran with with Ty, which really plays to his skill set. Right, he's he's athletic, he's fast, and, and also is a, a play that gives him confidence um, there as well. And then and I thought he gave him opportunities to throw the ball, and I thought he did that very effectively. So you know, it's a, it a really good game for Ty. You know, happy to see that. You know, obviously, you know, it's one game. Um, but it's a good confidence boost, which I think is really what Ty needs, right? He needs a confidence boost in a real game. And and, and maybe, you know, sometimes maybe a different coordinator, a different connection there is something that can unlock somebody's potential. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. I, I want to talk about Bo Nix actually for a minute too, because I think his command of the offense, his presence, and just the way he distributed throughout the day, like, accurate throws at all three levels, no runs, no real like scrambles, just playing within the pocket, playing within the offense. And like, but throwing the ball downfield more than we did a year ago. Um, again, it's early, it's an FCS opponent. You would expect that to be the case, but like, to me, there's there was a noticeable difference in the way that Bo was operating, um, the confidence he was operating with. And then you could tell that he he knows that he has a much better receiver room than he had a year ago. Um, the back shoulder ball to Gary Bryant's beginning of the third quarter was a really, really nice throw. Um, several good throws to Troy Franklin. Um, good to see Tez getting involved, Treshawn Holden. And just The receiver room is just really good. This is the best group Oregon's had um, ever. And I think Troy Franklin's probably the best receiver we've ever had. And and so pairing that up with everything else that's going on with the offense, whether it's Bucky and the offensive line, but really with Bo taking that next step as a quarterback um, is awesome to see.
1: Yeah, speaking of Tez, I I know he didn't have he didn't have a lot in the passing game, but there was a couple key early in the game. There was a couple of key third down conversions that he made, and you could just see the connection there with Bo, where it was a real confident. You know, Bo had a lot of confidence in Tez, and Tez uh, made the plays and made the conversions in in those scenarios. But I also want to shout at him in the punt return game. Um, You know, Oregon hasn't had anything in the punt return game for (laughs) I don't know six years, seven, I don't know, whenever Dylan Mitchell was probably you know, the last time we had a competent punt returner. Javon it's Holland was pretty good. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Right. Still, feels like a long time ago. Uh, it's been a few years, and he he definitely is a guy you could tell did make and will make um, some plays as a punt returner throughout the season, and it's nice to have that threat out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing, because it's top of mind, and this isn't really in line with what we were talking about on the offense, but Kyrie Jackson's tackling is like a breath of fresh air. That guy is a super aggressive downhill player at corner. Um And he's going to be a really good force defender against the screens and stuff like that. Like he was blowing stuff up all day. Like if it came, if it was a, if it was a perimeter run or screen to his side of the field, he was like that, that was not going to work.
1: Yeah. I, I like to see that too. Uh You know, Bucky Irving, obviously the other one, four carries 120 yards and two touchdowns. So uh that's a nice little, uh, little chunk of work for bucky before giving away to, to jordan james who really was the workhorse back this day with noah winnington out of the game on the first play and then obviously i think Jaden lamar and dante Daldell both had you know moments to speak of and things to to be excited about looking forward to the future
0: yeah they did i mean they're both averaging over six and a half yards a carry on the day jordan james 10 10 carries for 86 yards um I just, I love that room. That's the best that room has been since Gary Campbell was here. Uh, and Dante Dowdell and Jaden Lamar both showed stuff. Um, and like the, that gives me confidence for the future, right? Like even this year with like, we talked about this, I think on our preview, like running backs get nicked up. Noah Whittington gets nicked up early there. I don't think that there was any loss by having jo- uh, Jordan James in the game over or Noah Whittington. I thought he ran really hard. I thought he ran well, showed good instincts, pace, Contact balance, all the things that are real priorities for Coach Lachlan, Um, and then obviously Bucky was just like completely dominant, and he looked a step quicker. There was actually a couple guys I noted on the day that um, seemed to have benefited from some good off-season work.
1: Yeah, I I love that that drive that kind of featured Dante Dowdell as well because again, all the runners ran well, but you just like he is a different kind of he's a different kind of back, right? And he just was like he kind of looked like a true power back right i'm just going to run through people and run over them and drag them for an extra three yards yeah he, did, and he did, did like times
0: <laughs> like you better you better bring your lunch pail to get that man on the ground because that's that is a grown man and he's 18 years old um yeah he's running and Lamar, violently. yes very violent runner and i love that like angry guys that finish runs like like i think we've talked about with bucky's a bowling ball of butcher knives like uh that Dante Dotto is a lot larger than a bowling ball um, and he runs with the same kind of ferociousness and aggressiveness.
1: Anything else you want to touch on this game before we give out our uh, him award?
0: Yeah, no, not really. Um, Again, I, I've had this feeling throughout the off season that this is probably the best roster Oregon's ever had one through 85 and watching this game and just seeing again, because we've had games where we give up like 27 points to an SCS team or were punting and not executing well. Like, this was just clean. Like, this was just, like, there was no question that, that we were just a way, 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 way better football team than they were. And we could have rolled out there with any mixture of guys from our ones, twos, and threes, and the score would have been the same. Um, and so that is what is impressive to me about this team and about this game, and so it gives me a lot of excitement because there was a lot of key, like, guys that I would consider key players that didn't play in this game, whether it's Tatum Tuioti, whether it's... Um, Whether it's Justin Jacobs or Evan Williams, like Evan Williams and Justin Jacobs are probably two of our five best players on defense, and they even play. Um, And that so that that kind of stuff gives me a lot of confidence going forward.
1: All right, so tell us about he's him or it's him. Or or so you guys, you
0: guys have probably heard this. It's like a for you for you older folk for the boomers in, in the that listen. I'm I'm totally messing with you guys. You're not boomers, but. Um who listen when someone says that guy's him, like that is that's like the ultimate that is the ultimate like millennial or Gen Z. Is it Gen Z or Gen X? I think it's Gen Z. I'm Gen uh, X. Like, it's Gen Z. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're closer to be I thought you were a boomer, Doug. Dude, come on.
1: Come <laughs> on. Um, like ten years but, off a boomer, you
0: Yeah, I, I'm just messing with you. The ultimately, like that's like the ultimate, like, okay, like that guy's a stud. Um, people give out ESPN gives out helmet stickers. So what we're going to do is we're going to give out our him stamp um, for this game. And I think I've got a couple nationally and I'm sure you do too, from the games you watch this weekend Um, for this game, it's Troy Franklin, like this as watching him watching the film, like the most complete receiver Oregon's ever had. Um, He's gotten more explosive. He's got great wiggle. He's got great instincts, post catch um, awesome hands, but his route running specifically and just the amount of separation he generates troy franklin is a total stud um and i i think that featuring him in the offense the way that he deserves to be featured which based off this game against seven catches for 106 on 24 snaps um like that's that's what you do when you have dominant receivers and i think that that franklin is going to end a long drought of high of of not having receivers drafted um, in the top couple rounds of the draft this this uh coming april
1: yeah um, I'm gonna cheat a little bit. My he's him is gonna go to the offensive line, uh, and if you have to make me pick one, I'll say Josh Connerly because uh, he's. A I was gonna player. say it's
0: easy to pick Josh Connerly if that's the case because, like last year, he was a really good athlete playing, um, like using his athleticism and more playing positioning, like like being more of a pin and post player. Um, whereas now he's coming out of his hips and like he's got some some actual power and he's converting that athleticism into strength and power. Uh, and he he was like completely dominant. Like he looks really really good. I mean, we obviously just had the best tackle in the program's history a few years ago. But um, I think Josh Connerly is going to get drafted
1: very high when his time when his time comes. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I thought the offensive line, with all the talk about four new starters and all that nonsense we've been hearing about all offseason, they came out and were dominant. And I don't expect really to be any noticeable drop off at that. Uh, I mean, that, that was without.
0: Yeah, that was with Engelau missing portions of camp, Strether being hurt, Harper coming out of like like there was a lot of mix and match. JPJ didn't play a ton in camp. Um and even with that, like just the depth on the offensive line showed out in this game. Uh and there was there was really no drop off at any point.
1: Yep, exactly. All right. Let's move on to some some national games here. We'll we'll talk through the the non-Pac 12 ones first. And uh, and then we'll get to the Pac-12 ones. And and if at any point during one of these games you want to you want to give out a a him stamp, you just call it out, QB. Sounds good. All right. So we have L- obviously the game we were talking about earlier, the LSU of Florida State, or not at Florida State, but a neutral site game there in Orlando, LSU Florida State. Uh, this is a line in two and a half in favor of LSU. I picked them. Obviously didn't didn't win that one. For uh, Florida State, uh, won and covered and ran away with the game. And QB. Took the win on that one, but uh, overall, other than what we talked about earlier, being a, a real high quality game with teams that are obviously at a different level talent wise. I mean, Florida State had to impress, uh, and and I know you've been really really high on them all summer and picked them uh, to to make the playoffs. I believe in our in our preview pick, but man, they look like a playoff team. I mean, Troy Brenson, cool. those receivers, the quarterback, uh, the defense, uh, just they looked incredible.
0: Yeah, so uh, there's two two hem stamps on the Florida State side I want to get on this one. Um, we'll, we'll start on offense. So, like, this team is very similarly constructed to Oregon, in my opinion. Uh, offensively, they've got a really, like, senior offensive line, tons of depth and, and snaps there, um, a strength of the team experience-wise. I think Bonix is a better player than Jordan Travis, but Jordan Travis is a very good player in that system. But they've just got so much talent at the skill position players. I mean, Keon Coleman is completely unfair to be adding to that team. Uh, Johnny Wilson still struggles with the drops, but when he does catch the ball, he's he's a weapon. Um, Jaheem Bell, the transfer from South Carolina, is a total monster at tight end, like kind of a freaky move guy. Hopefully what Sadiq can become over the, uh, as he develops into his body um, over the next couple of years. I think skill set-wise, that's a very good comparison for Jaheem Bell. Um, and then players like Trey Benson in the backfield, like they, they just have tons and tons of guys and there's just mismatches everywhere. And I think when you have a coach who's as talented offensively as Mike Morvell is, and you pair it with all those weapons, it's going to be really tough to stop. Uh, and that's what proved to be true today. And I think Keon Coleman um, gets his stamp because he was, he was the best player on the field. Whenever, whenever Florida state was on offense, he was completely dominant. His ability to make adjust body control adjustments to the ball um, while under con- contact, his, his leaping ability, the, the kind of routes he was running the separation, he was just everything for them on the outside. Like very clearly the best receiver, the alpha receiver in that room. And that room has a lot of good players. So um really, really impressed with Keon Coleman and the Florida State offense.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean obviously I think we all knew uh when we got Trey Benson and 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 it's a little bit of time here that he was gonna be he was going to be a guy. And unfortunately his, his time at Oregon got derailed by a really, really nasty, nasty knee injury. And um, you know, it kept him out a year or more. And then even when he came back, the the, the year that he played here, the last year he played here, you know, he, he was still recovering, right? He was still working his way back from that injury and he wasn't the, the player that he was before. And he wasn't the player that he was going to be. And, and then obviously it was a coaching transition and he moved on and, you know unfortunately it didn't work out here for him but i'm really really happy that it's working out for him because incredible player you know probably an incredible dude from everything i've heard and uh, you know you always want to see former former ducks do well at their new home and i just thought he's he i just love watching him run i love the way he runs yeah i think of all the backs
0: that have left over the years he's the best one um, and i think that he and bucky would be a hell of a competition for the best back on this team like he's a really really talented I remember when, uh, so Kendall Milton and Bijan Robinson were the two big guys out west in that class, and um, ultimately Bijan Robinson was already Texas bound, and Kendall Milton, um, who knows if we would have been able to get him. But uh, when I got to talk to Coach Mastro that year, and I asked him like kind of who he was targeting and like what was going on with with the running back recruiting, and he was like, "I got a I got a three star kid in Mississippi that I'll take over any back out west." Now ultimately Bijan Robinson's a better player than Trey Benson, but. Um I would take Kendall like I would I would not take Kendall Milton over Trey Benson after what we've seen. And I think that was a really good eval. Um and Trey Benson just has like an immense amount of talent and he's a big kid who can really he's got good feel and instincts and for for being a running back, but he's also got just like crazy measurable athleticism. Um but right, he runs people guy. over. I mean
1: his yards yeah. after contact are what second in the country last year? I mean he just Yeah, really impressive. And he's got he still has long
0: speed too, despite being a really big back um so yeah, I really, really like him.
1: Yeah, all right, let's move on. North Carolina, South really Carolina. Really quick, I want to give a stamp Wait, out. Uh Jared hey, go
0: ahead. uh uh sorry, Verse, the the edge for Florida State was the best player on the field period in this game. Um once once Florida State got a lead, this game was over because of him. Um and, and they have other good pass rushers, but you see the benefit of having an elite pass rusher in games like that, where teams have to come back on you. They have to run longer developing routes. They have to drop back and play. And when you have a guy like him and he can just tee off, it's over, right? We saw him. He had a strip sack earlier in the game. I think he had a second sack, Um, utterly dominant, speed, speed to power, just a freak, like definitely going to be a first round draft pick next April. Um, And having a guy like that is really, really important. So, um whether it turns out to be Mateo or Jordan Birch Oregon needs to find that guy i'm not saying they're going to have a jared verse because he's pretty special um and he's going to get drafted higher than any of our guys are but uh just kind of goes to show just how impactful a truly elite edge player can be
1: yeah i mean if you're an oregon fan you know and I'm not saying this this performance is better or worse than either one of those, but the two performances from Kayvon's career that remind me of that, what you just said, right? The the two the two conference championship games against Utah and USC where Oregon got out to a lead and those teams had to throw late and, and he just could not be blocked in those scenarios. Yeah, he was
0: just teeing off at that point, right? Because then you yep. just have an inferior athlete at tackle going up against guys that really
1: shouldn't move as well as they do for being as big as they are. All right, so great game there. Uh, and obviously, uh, we'll watch. Uh, you know, LSU now has to win out uh, most likely if they want to make the playoffs, and, and Florida State now has a little bit of a mulligan if they need it. But they also, uh, you know, they can go to Clemson and take in that game, take care of business in that game, and shoot, they'll be sitting pretty with the rest of their schedule.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's more than one team on the schedule that can actually beat Florida State. So that Clemson game, it's coming up soon, Week Four. So um really looking forward to that one
1: all right let's move over to that north carolina south carolina game now uh Tar Heels were a two and a half point favorite uh you picked them i picked against them i was really disappointed uh in south carolina in this one i i thought they were i thought they were the better team to be honest i thought they were going to win the game outright and i thought it was probably going to be pretty comfortable but they kind of got smacked around <laughs> they didn't look very good north carolina on on the other hand their defense looked legit
0: Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised again. I didn't get to catch much of this game. I was pleasantly surprised by UNC's defense, just what they were able to do to South Carolina. But when South Carolina is losing players like Jaheim Bell to Florida State, uh, when they're losing players like Jordan Birch to Oregon in the transfer portal, they they don't have other guys like that on the roster ready to step in and replace. And so there's going to be some kind of drop off, and I think that. Um, people are looking at what South Carolina has done on the recruiting trail so far this year and thinking that that's going to be a direct um, implication of how good they're going to be on the field this year. And that's not how that works. Um, and so I think South Carolina will be the better program in the longer run, but as long as Drake may's at UNC, I think they made an upgraded offensive coordinator and it seems that their defense has improved. So uh, good for UNC.
1: Uh, Drake may doesn't need a hem stamp. We all know he's that guy. Yeah, for sure. All right, nebraska minnesota this was uh instant classic big 10 west football right uh 13 10 13-10 the final score in favor of minnesota uh nebraska led this one 10-3 pretty late in the game had the ball and it kind of disintegrated from that point uh they they, they had the ball i think in minnesota territory ended up punting or turning it over or something minnesota drove the field to tie Nebraska got the ball back through an interception and Minnesota was able to get the, the field goal at the end to kind of walk it off and uh, also I, I'd say the touchdown the touchdown grab that Minnesota receiver made was was an incredible play highlight level play but uh, you know Nebraska finds a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory once again and uh you know credit to Minnesota for for sticking out this game but it was a 13-10 Big 10 West slugfest
0: yeah, it was a fun game. I actually really enjoyed this game. As like a viewer, I thought this was a good like tone setter for the college football season. Jeff Sims, unfortunately, is still a walking turnover because Nebraska really should have won this game. Uh, they controlled the game for large portions, uh, but once Minnesota got their opportunity late, they had some receivers really come up with some pretty spectacular catches. And so, uh, fun, fun game. Really, this is going to make me really excited for this Nebraska-Colorado game this upcoming weekend because um, I think that Nebraska has some confidence uh, competence and that they've improved under Matt rule. And so matchup wise, I think it's going to be a pretty intriguing one with the
1: Buffs. Yeah. And I should say that, uh, Minnesota was a seven point favorite there. I picked Nebraska. So I, I won the pick, uh, obviously, uh, didn't win the day, but, uh, Clemson Duke we picked, but that game hasn't happened yet. So uh, I guess we'll just throw that into our review next week. If you we remember, but, uh, Clemson Duke was, was picked there. We both picked Clemson to cover the 12 and a half. And then uh, finally the battle of Miami turned out to be not much of a battle. We both had uh, the Mario's covering the 17 point spread and they easily did winning 38 to three. Did you get a chance to see any of that or any highlights there? Right. Yeah. Miami's got
0: a really, really good offensive line and a bunch of really good running backs and that's all it took for them to cover this game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll
0: talk more about Miami on Wednesday when we, uh, Preview their game against Texas A&M this coming week.
1: Yeah, that's a great game. Uh, week two matchup. Let's move into the Pac-12 games. So we'll start with Cal uh, at North Texas. Cal is a six and out point favorite. We both picked Cal to cover that, and boy, did they ever! Uh, I, I was. Sh- this was one of. The, I didn't watch anything, any play of this game. But it was one of the most shocking results that I saw in the Pac-12 this weekend. Oh, by the way, the Pac-12 is 13-0 right now, which hasn't happened in like 30 years or something. But uh, 58-21, Cal. Cal put up 58 points, so maybe the, the new offensive coordinator knows what he's doing.
0: Well, no, he definitely does. He's, he's a better coach than they've had on the offensive side of the ball. I'm still a little skeptical. Like I'm not going to overreact to this and say Cal is going to be a really good football team, but to me, this is obviously a positive move, right? Like to go from being completely inept offensively um, with Musgrave as their coordinator to now being able to score this amount of points regardless of opponent. I think is obviously a step in the right direction. So um, we'll talk more about Cal when we get to our power rankings. But to me, this this
1: moved them up a little bit in my eyes. Yeah, Jaden Knott with a 188 on the ground. Um you know, last year he had 31% of his yards in a single game last year. It was about it was about 200. So this game hopefully for him is not it's not a similar 31% of his yardage production for the entire season, but it's a good start for sure to get 188 in, in game 1. And yeah, we'll we're we'll made to be seen about their passing game and their defense, but um yeah, I mean, they did what they needed to do. So we both took the win in that one. Let's move over to Nevada at USC. Uh, This one went exactly as we expected. Uh, USC bounced back from kind of a lackluster first game to really blow Nevada out of the water. Uh, 66-14, easily covering the 38-point spread. We both picked USC to do just that.
0: Yeah, the fighting Ken Wilson's did not uh, put up much of a fight, unfortunately, but um, I still don't feel like we've learned all that much about USC defensively.
1: No, uh, no, not at all. I mean, they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to throw the ball around. Uh, They also ran for 215 in this game. I I don't know if that tells us much either. But um, Sean Dollars, shout out to Sean Dollars at uh, a touchdown and 33 yards rushing for Nevada. Also caught three passes out of the backfield. So good for him. Hopefully he has a great year. Uh, We'll learn more about USC, I don't know, in week eight or nine or ten or something. Yeah, when they first six games, people. we're I mean, not going to learn nothing.
0: Well, they play Colorado.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. We'll talk about them next. Colorado, the the big the big winner of the weekend. Uh, Dion and Prime and the hype machine is going to only get turned up now because they go down to TCU and they win uh, 45-42 as a 20, basically 20 and a half point underdog. Both of us picked TCU um, in this one. And... No, I'm sorry. You picked TCU to cover the 20-and-a-half. I picked Colorado. I didn't pick them to win, but I picked Colorado to backdoor, backdoor cover that. And so I, I took the win in the in the pick 'em. but uh, Colorado took the win in the game. And Drew Sanders passed for 510 yards and four touchdowns. Colorado did not run the ball at all. 55 yards total on 34 carries, so 1.6 yards per carry. Uh, so they're going to be a, a very one-dimensional offense this year by the looks of it. To me, the story of this game, other than Colorado's offense, which I think is much more explosive than I expected, their uh, TCU is even worse than I expected them to be this year, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I tweeted this out during the game, but Chandler Morris, TCU's quarterback, was throwing with zero like negative anticipation. Like everything had to be open for not just like it didn't have to be there, but it had to be there for like multiple seconds for him to pull the trigger. Um, unless it was like a shallow crossing route. And to me, that's like that's a pretty big red flag. So um i will be interesting just interested to see how this tcu team develops over the year but i think that there's going to be a pretty significant drop off in the win-loss column in, um for tcu this year based on this performance and i will see they can always get better and improve and i would expect that they will at some in some cases i thought that trey sanders the alabama transfer running back did some good things but um colorado just completely picked them apart through the air shooter sanders had 510 yards and four touchdowns um Four 100-yard receivers for uh, Colorado, including the four-star running back, Dylan Edwards, who was committed at one point to Kansas State, then Notre Dame, and then ultimately ended up signing with Coach Prime um, and the Buffaloes. But uh, o- overall, I to me, the floor, after seeing them play, the floor for Colorado has risen. I still don't think it's a guarantee that they're a bowl team, right. um, but I think that as long as they can keep these few key pieces that they do have on offense healthy – they've got a shot, right? Um, Keeping Shadur Sanders upright. And then that combination of really Jimmy Horn, Travis Hunter, Dylan Edwards, and Xavier Weaver, I think is going to be the ticket for them. And it's going to make them competitive against some of the more uh, vulnerable teams defensively in the conference.
1: Yeah, and I'll give out a, this is not a surprise or anything, but I'll give out a, out of him stamp to to travis hunter 11 catches 119 yards and uh, and also played a bunch of defense and defended a pass and got some tackles and and he played
0: 120 snaps in this game
1: yeah yeah i'm sorry you play 120 snaps and you do well on both sides of the ball you're getting a him stamp his his interception was actually like
0: tremendous too um and he was making all kinds of really nice freaky body control catches and yeah I think Shadir Sanders is the one that really impressed me the most. I think the way that his command of that system. Um, and it, we knew that with Sean Lewis coming in, like Sean Lewis is used to doing more with less um, from his time at Kent State. And so like working around a maybe less than ideal offensive line and a limited running game, but just being able to accentuate the things that they do well, the things they do have, which is they have some guys on the outside and they have um, a pretty talented quarterback who can distribute the ball and a smart. And so uh, that was impressive That defense stinks, though, and I think that there's a lot of teams in this conference that are going to be able to run up a lot of points on Colorado, and I think that there's also some teams in this conference that are going to be able to slow down a one-dimensional offense enough to uh, get some some pretty wide margin of victories against the Buffs.
1: Yeah, but, you know, if they can – I'm really looking forward to watching that Colorado-Nebraska game next weekend, right, because – um we'll see how that one how that one looks differently from from this game i mean nebraska is going to need to score more than 10 points but i also think they they have a defense that's probably much better equipped than maybe we saw from tcu this week so uh, it'll be i fun don't to even watch know if that's but, the
0: case but i think that nebraska is going to be able to kind of dictate the pace of play because i think they're going to be able to control the, the line of scrimmage the line scrimmages yeah.
1: yeah yeah but so but you know if, if colorado could win that one then hey they could be coming coming into odds at three and and0 which uh you know the, the hype machine will be in full swing if that happens. Yeah, 100%. All right, so let's move on to uh, Utah, Florida. This game was a long time ago now because it was Thursday night, and it's kind of amazing to me. I feel like I've talked about this game a ton, but it hasn't been on the podcast. So um, let's get into that one. Did we learn anything about Utah?
0: Yeah, actually. I think that I learned that their backup quarterback is much more competent than I than he showed to be last year. Um, and I think that they've got some guys at, at the receiver position that have kind of stepped up, um, whether it's the true freshman, Mikey Matthews, but I think money parks is, is going to be a good, good enough deep threat. And I think that Thomas Yasmin, um, in, in a bigger role now with Dalton Kincaid out and then Brent Keithy more, uh, short-term out is going to be a player that like allows them to keep doing the the stuff they love to do out of 12 personnel. So, um, I think that once this team gets Cam Rising back, once Spencer Fano settles into playing college football, because he had a pretty rough first half specifically, um, that we're going to be looking at a a uh, a pretty dangerous Utah squad.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I my, my takeaway was a little different. I I don't know if I learned anything about Utah. Um, I, so yeah, I because I feel like Florida was just so terrible in this game. I, I mean, they were unprepared, they were undisciplined, they were poorly coached um and they you know they shot themselves in the foot repeatedly and you know, look what i know about utah is they're going to play good defense they're going to be disciplined they're going to play fundamentally sound football on both sides of the ball they're going to have strong line of scrimmage play and they're going to be extremely well coached and that's exactly what they were and they did enough to beat a team who was none of those things yeah i, I, don't I think utah's with the that, team like... utah's the team that they always were i don't know if they're better than the team that they always were
0: yeah, but what I'm saying is though that with Utah being down, the guys that they were they were down to just show up and be business as usual. They were down their starting center, they're down their starting quarterback, probably their best receiving threat at tight end, and Brent Keithy. They're down uh, one of their starting defensive tackles and and some some other players on the defense side of the ball. And for them to show up, I mean, whether or not Florida's any good or not, like they do have some talent, um, and really just dominate them from start to finish and control the game. That can't go without some type of acknowledgement, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. We'll see more. They go to Baylor, although uh, Baylor look, looked pretty, pretty dang awful yesterday. So I don't know if that's a test anymore or not. I thought it was going to be, but my pick on Baylor clearly looks uh, pretty bad right now.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: Uh, we both had, we actually both had Florida in this game, so uh, Utah credit uh, credit them for making us both wrong
0: yeah for sure florida was just like i don't think anyone was predicting them to be that horrible like they just did not play well they just shot themselves in the foot at every opportunity
1: oregon state san jose state uh again this is one we both had san jose state we thought the 16 and a half points was way too many uh and boy were we wrong because oregon state just smoked them 42 17 today
0: yeah yeah that's uh that's one i'd like to have back i think I learned quite a bit about Oregon state today, just because we know that San Jose state at least is like competent team. Like they're not obviously they're, they're G five. They're probably upper middle half of the, of the mountain West. Um, but Oregon state just kind of crockpotted them. Like they, they played good sound defense. Um, they weren't, they, they at no point were they not in control of this game. Their offensive line played really, really well. DJ had forever to throw. And because of that, DJ was super efficient in this game. I think he was like 22 for 25, uh, three three touchdowns um, through the air, two rushing. Really really nice performance. I think he's raised the ceiling for them offensively. Um, but the question for me is, what happens to that secondary when they play somebody that can actually throw the ball um, downfield on them? And so that'll be the test, right? Where we find out is Oregon State able to replace those guys and maintain a similar level of play, or is Oregon State going to drop off and really struggle against the top half teams in the league?
1: Yeah, it, yeah, I think you're right. I think their their offense is what we knew it would be rushing wise with a more competent uh better quarterback play, which is is good for them, but And, the and
0: DJ's is not going to have 8 or 9 seconds to throw the ball
1: right. against the better teams in the league. So and you did see a few of his, you know, moments that you know, he kind of Short hopped a couple of like wide open like swing passes and things like that that are that show kind of some of the issues that have plagued him in the past as well in a, a non pressure situation. But overall, really good day for him and the Beavers. And, and a quick shout out to former Duck Jay Butterfield who came in kind of late in the game and went seven for nine for uh, 80 yards and a touchdown. So good to see him getting in the game.
0: Yeah, their, their passing game improved dramatically when he came in, which is another reason why I'm still kind of wait and see on the Oregon State defense.
1: Yeah, Cordero is quite an athlete, but he just his arm talent is or his accuracy is well, doesn't have it. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh all right, how about Stanford at Hawaii? Uh again, we both picked Hawaii in this one and and Stanford made us look silly cuz they blew out the Rainbows.
0: Yeah, they really did. Like this was I think probably uh from my expectation to the field, the best performance of the week for a Pac-12 team. Well, I know Colorado was, but this would be second easily because Hawaii is shown to be at least decent. Like they're not a good football team by any means. They're, they're probably, they might make a bowl this year. Um, and Stanford really handled them. And like, they did a good job of, with the new offense of getting the, getting the ball to their play playmakers, whether it's your the tight end, um, but, or, or some of the other guys, but either way, like I don't think this is a team that's going to be winning a lot of pack 12 games, but they're also a team that you have to show up and play football against or else like you, you, you could find yourself uh, with some problems because guys like Casey Fillikens, uh EJ Smith, like those are some pretty good players. Uh, and they've got a mobile quarterback and they have a much more progressive offensive system. And they've, uh, than they most fans I think are used to seeing from Stanford.
1: Yeah, they they did give up a lot of uh, a lot of yards to the air. So we'll we'll see how they can do defensively against again a, probably a more more sophisticated passing attacks. They're going to play in this conference, particularly. Well, we're
0: going to find out next week,
1: right? They play USC, so <laughs> that's right. That week two matchup. Yeah, I always forget about that one. So yeah. Uh, credit for them, though, you know, they came out in, under their new coach Troy Taylor and and got game one handily, So good for them there. Let's uh, we didn't pick these other games, these FCS games, but we'll run through a couple of them real quick. Arizona handles Northern Arizona, thirty eight to three. You know, Jaden Delora, two eighty five, three touchdowns. Um, they kind of had a running back by committee. Got some yardage there. Uh, T sixty five yards and a touchdown. Cowing had a touchdown. You know, kind of a, a pretty easy victory for for Arizona, which is, you know, it, at the evolution point they are as a program or they want to be as a program, right? Taking that next step. This is what you want to see in a game like this, right? You want to see a dominant victory at home against a an, a severely overmatched foe and Arizona did a good job there.
0: Yeah, I didn't watch any of this game. I don't have anything to add other than I saw the box score. I saw the score, and it's kind of what I would expect for Arizona at this point in the program under
1: Jed Fish in year three against
0: a team like
1: Northern Arizona. Yeah, and then uh, Washington State. Did we pick this one? Somehow we didn't pick this one. I missed it. Washington State, Colorado State. Again, the Cougars on the road, 50-24 to 24 over Colorado State. So, you know, kind of a dominant victory for uh, – Coach Dickard and team up there, Cameron Ward, 451 yards passing and three touchdowns. Uh maybe maybe we're going to see some better play and some more downfield play out of out of them under the new OC.
0: Yeah, maybe that's the case. I'm I'm looking forward to getting into the film on this one. Um so that'll be it. that'll be an interesting one to like kind of monitor because last year their offense was so lateral in nature in regards to their passing game, right? And it was like almost predictable to a point where teams were just Coming downhill on it and it was making it really hard for them to do anything um so if that's different if they have a vertical passing game now we'll see how that carries over next week when they play wisconsin um but that'll be something to monitor that could make washington state much more challenging in conference
1: all right two more games here uh, we'll go with coastal carolina ucla ucla won 27 13 uh, it kind of felt like a I don't know. Like, I don't feel. I don't feel like UCLA played bad necessarily, but it definitely feel like they didn't play great either. And they kind of they took care of business. They never felt like they were going to lose the game, but they also never really.
0: I mean, dominated if Chip it. just got out of his own way and played the right quarterback, this game probably <laughs> would have been a lot less close, right? Like, yeah, the, this whole like game of chicken he's playing with with uh, um, Dante Gar- Moore and yeah. Ethan Garbers is just completely ridiculous. Like, Dante Moore is very clearly a way better player than Ethan Garbers. And yet like Ethan Garber's <laughs> played substantially more snaps, right? And yeah
1: so- yeah you, you look at the game. so Garber's got the start, kind of does nothing, does nothing for several drives. They bring in Dante Moore. He, he he drives him down the field, throws a incredible sidearm touchdown for you know pass to get UCLA on the board. Then he comes out of the game, doesn't go back in the game again until the second half garbage comes finish. in and immediately throws an yeah.
0: absolute dime
1: the first <laughs> play he comes in the game he's been on the bench for like an hour and a half he comes into the game and throws the absolute perfect ball like 10 out of 10 ball uh, you know and it's not was not an easy i mean you know it, it's not like it was a 10-yard throw i mean he was throwing this ball down the seam right but i mean it was on the guy's helmet like could not have been thrown better the guy just comes in it's like it's like a relief pitcher coming into the game and just throwing like 100 down the pipe and smoking someone it's like okay i'm done here and then yeah and then it's like can we just i think that's yeah. why i tweeted out like okay the quarterback competition's over chip now just be stubborn enough to admit it or not stubborn enough right because chip is so damn stubborn he won't want to admit what he already knows right which is crazy would I mean, admitting like, right, right?
0: like Dante Moore's is clearly the best quarterback on that roster
1: and he's it, the future
0: and he's the future it's like if he wasn't gonna play, he might as well have just come to Oregon and sat behind Bo. Right. Like Oregon wouldn't be better this year with Dante. But I tell you what, like I'd really like to have that guy sitting in the wings waiting for next year. Um, because he's freaking awesome. And like you could tell, like, he's this good already. What is he gonna look like when he gets some snaps under his belt?
1: Yeah, and he threw a bad interception oh. later in the game. Yeah. Okay, because yeah, it's his first a game freshman. college a quarterback, freshman, and he's quarterback. a true freshman. But overall, like he's gonna give you a much better chance to win throughout the season than Ethan Garber's. There's sorry, a chance, not sorry. like, uh,
0: there's a very high probability that Dante Moore is one of the best quarterbacks in college football in, by, like, like, this sometime year. next yeah. year, yeah, or this year. And so, like, this this idea that Ethan Garbers is going to somehow become that guy all of a sudden when he has been very average for a very long time is just beyond my comprehension. It's like, you spend all this money in NIL to get the kid, you bring him in, and then you're just not going to play him? Like, what what are we doing here?
1: Yeah, it's not I mean, like, look, if he had DTR still, like, okay, understandable, right? But you don't. You have Ethan Garbers. Move on. Well no, even better, you have Dante Moore. Like you have a way
0: better player than like I,
1: yeah. I think that by the yeah. time it's a I just mean like it's, it would be Moore justifiable sitting be him behind DTR is what I'm saying. It wouldn't be justified. This justifiable one him like behind. W- yeah.
0: Watching him play the position. I'm like, this like the transition from Bo to him would have been seamless. Like that is gonna be a recruiting loss that hurts forever. Unless Austin Novosad or Luke Moger, Van Buren, or Achilles Smith Jr. turn into like really, really elite players. Um, that's going to be one of the bigger what ifs of of all time for the Ducks on the recruiting
1: trail. Yeah, let's not go there. It's been beat to death. Let's just, yeah, we got to move on. <laughs> I know it hurts, but we got to move on. All right, one more game. Uh, one more game here. And we both, um, we both, actually, we split this one. I picked Washington to cover the 14 and a half uh, hosting Boise State. You picked, uh, the Broncos and uh, Washington state. This is actually a pretty uh, competitive game. I'd say through about two and a half quarters, I think it was at one point 28, 12 at the half. And then I think it was 35, 19 and then Washington kind of, I'd say run away with it, but a better term would be through away with it because uh, Washington could do nothing on the ground in this game, but they couldn't get stopped. They couldn't be stopped through the air. And so when they kind of finally just said, you know what? We can't run. We're not going to try anymore. Let's just throw the ball, and then it was just like it's like playing five hundred or something with Michael Penix and his receivers, and he put up four hundred ninety yards and six touchdowns in this one. Um, yeah, yeah, this has a good passing game.
0: I thought that they might like when I'm picking this like cover for Boise. I thought the game might carry on a little bit longer than it did in the form that it was in the first first half. Um, Yeah and that's just not at all what happened, right? Like they, Washington decided to just throw the ball, throw it vertical over and over and over again, and they just have way too many good receivers. And like, give Michael Penix credit. Like when you give him time to throw the ball, he delivers. Um, and he's going to chop you up. And that's what he did. Boise State just did not have the athletes to cover.
1: Yeah, and just a correction. They had 490 yards and six touchdowns total, but some of that was to Dylan Morris. So Penix had 450 and five, just to be clear, but... Not that it makes that much difference. I think, you know, in retrospect, this was a this was just bad matchups in a lot of ways too because Washington obviously is elite passing, not very good rushing. Boise State is a better defending the run than they are defending the pass, so that was a bad matchup for them. And then on the other side of the ball, um, you know, Boise State is not a good throwing team, but Taylor Green is not, not a, to my mind, not an excellent passer. And I think where Washington is maybe... A little bit more vulnerable through the air but i don't think the quarterback and and the offense and the receivers that boise had were really equipped to test that or not yeah it's probably i probably agree with that uh they did run for almost five yards of carry on on 28 carries so that's something to watch for washington is you know who did not defend the run particularly well last year so we'll see as they get into more competition this year, if they're going to be able to do that a little bit better up front. So we'll see, but you know, as long as they're putting up 500 yards and 50 points, um, you know, it won't matter that much. Um, I think that's all the games we covered. That's Hey, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> both watched we- a
0: lot of college football this weekend and uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's always so. tough in the in the non-con season because you know there's 12 pack 12 games or you know to cover and then you know as you get into conference play it's it's half of that number or less when there's buys so it gets a little easier to to have less total games and more national games to, to talk about instead of so many Pac-12 games against teams that we never watch otherwise outside of these, or at least that I never watch outside of these games. So I don't know a lot about North Texas or Colorado state or, you know, those kind of teams. So, Uh, but we both, uh, we both won six this week and lost seven. Uh, We got one to go. So if Clemson, uh, does what they're supposed to do, we'll we'll end up at five hundred on the week, and if they don't, we'll be a little bit underwater heading into week two.
0: And for 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 week one, I'll take five hundred. Right? Really? Like, there's a lot to learn about all these teams still. Um, there's all the things that we think we know coming into the season, and then you find out what's real. Uh, and then also, like, there's a lot of these games. I think one thing that's important to remember is we keep track of all this, but these are not games. We're not betting all these games with real money. Um, and so, I'm, no. like, I'm going to start tweeting out the games I'm actually betting on a weekly basis. Doing pretty good so far. I just, I, I was planning to do something more organized, but I've just been busy with work and other things. Um, I started off with 100 bucks in week zero, and I'm up to like 240 right now. So I'm feeling pretty good about my progress so far. If I can keep that pace going and I, I'm deploying 100% of that every week, you never know. I could, could make some actual money this season.
1: What happens if you run out? Do you restock or are you just,
0: I, I mean, probably I'm a degenerate. <laughs> One of these days I'll gamble.
1: Uh, I don't know. I haven't done it yet.
0: Getting getting through to the kind of like latter half of my rewatch right now, um, been kind of just just watching casually as we record. Dylan Austin just made that pass breakup you referenced earlier, like my lord.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean textbook. Textbook.
0: He's gonna be really, really good. Yeah. And also Amari exactly Washington's good. quickness off the ball is stupid for a man his size.
1: I just was when those when all those like freshman defensive line went in and it's like you've got johnny and amari washington and mikhail gardner and all those and porter and all like like those dudes just they look they look different man they just look different
0: ashton porter playing a lot more physical um getting off blocks than jake shipley did in the first half like that was a damn good play by him right there i mean and Jaden Moore you know looks like he's actually put on some pretty good size this offseason season.
1: If you're good enough, said. you're old enough. So maybe maybe some guys are going to be coming for jobs as the season uh, makes its way. I can
0: we'll see, see, see it with Jaden Moore. I think Jaden Moore is going to develop into a player.
1: Love that. Love that. We need something at that position. So the more, the better. All right, QB, ready to unveil our Week 1 Pac-12 Power Rankings? Yes, sir. Okay, so I kind of started, and I don't know if you did this, but I kind of started with my the list we picked. I think over the summer after spring ball was over, and I kind of used that as a starting point, And I made some adjustments. I, you know, I, as it goes on, I'll obviously wait like the total accomplishments of the season with a, a more more heavy weighting toward recent play. But kind of this is more like week one is. Probably fifty percent of my my weight right now, and then kind of preseason perceptions probably the other fifty percent. So, the uh, more swings right now compared to my summer ranking, I guess, and I think I saw that for you as well. So at number twelve, I've got Arizona State falling all the way to the bottom. With uh, we didn't talk about them, but they barely squeaked out a victory over Southern Utah and uh, started Jaden Rashada, true freshman, and you know I think he had some some good moments. It was also a weird game. There was a big lightning delay and whatnot but it, you know obviously arizona state had the the whole bowl game thing come down right before the game as well so but not a good performance so they're number 12 for me
0: yeah so i live down here in the valley um i experienced the mixture of haboob and crazy lightning storm uh that delayed that game well past midnight i mean i, Wait, what I don't think say, they haboob? started what is, what is haboob? Yeah, that's a that's the the dust storm it's called a haboob i've never heard that term before it, think of like a three hundred foot wall of dust and sand.
1: That just sounds that, like that, something out of a nightmare. It or is some not sort great. of horror and movie like or really, something.
0: Really high winds and like lots of lightning and thunder, and that's what delayed that game well into the night. And so um, I'm not going to make an excuse for them. They, they should have played better against a team like that. But I also think that after watching some of the of the other Pac-12 teams, I think that this is definitely a bottom third of the conference talent roster um and so i i just think that they kind of belong down here unlike you i think i was probably a little bit more liberal with moving people up and down based off week one performances because my off season opinions are one thing but when you get to see people play i think i'm going to weigh that more heavily and then as we get a bigger sample my stuff will kind of even out yeah. whereas i think you're probably still weighing more of your off season stuff than i am
1: fair enough who do you got at eleven?
0: Uh, I've got Wazoo, um, mostly because I did not get to see them, um, but they gave up a decent amount um, to to Colorado State, which was not a good football team last year. Now, we expect them to get better this year with Jay Norvell um, in year two, but I, I still – I get this feeling that this Washington State team is going to struggle defensively, which was a real strength for them last year based off what they lost, um, and I don't trust Cam Ward at all. I think that after seeing a lot of the other quarterbacks in the conference – like. I don't know that I would take Cam Ward over. Well, I do know actually I wouldn't over a Shador Sanders or a Dante Moore or a DJ Uwe Anglele. Uh, I'm not even sure that I'd take him over a Jaden Delore, right? And so for those reasons alone, the fact that I don't expect the defense to be great, I'm going to keep them down here at 11. All
1: right. I got Stanford at 11. Um, it's probably more of the offseason stuff weighing into that there. I, obviously, I thought, that, you know, they beat Hawaii. You know, I was impressed by that win, but also like, the crazy part is like everyone outside of Arizona state in the bottom six of the conference actually played way better than I expected. So somebody has to take this spot and I guess it's Stanford. Yeah. So I got
0: Stanford at 10 Um, for all the reasons you mentioned again, like these, my rankings are going to look very different in three weeks than they look right now. Um, But I'm giving Stanford a lot of credit credit for outplaying my expectations by a big amount going on the road week one at Hawaii. Um and just taking care of business looking explosive, um, showing to have some talent still on the roster. I don't think they're gonna maintain being in front of Wazoo, but for today I ha- I'm gonna keep them up there.
1: Yeah, I've got Cal as my number ten. Um I I think that was obviously a pretty impressive win against North Texas, but I also not sure if is North Texas any good, how bad are they? Um You know, I don't trust Cal's uh, passing game. I don't know that I trust their defense either. I think the one thing you can trust with Cal is the running game. So, uh, you know, that could certainly bode well for them throughout the year. But I've got them at number 10.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Moving on to number nine, I've got Arizona. Um, Again, didn't get to catch a lot of that. But, again, they just did what I expected them to do. And so it's hard for me to move them up or down. I think other teams just impressed me more week one um uh, so with that in mind i have them at nine
1: yeah, i'm a little bit higher on them than you uh i've got washington state as my number nine you know i think again the kind of covering the reasons you covered earlier i mean uh, yeah they, they won pretty handily at colorado state again I, i'm wondering is the is the transfer portal impact on group of five starting to really show itself now right like all these games that I would have thought would have been, you know, kind of lower level power five teams playing mid tier group of five teams, you know, in the past, these would have been competitive games and now they're blowouts. So is this kind of just an aberration or is this kind of transfer portal effects kind of showing off after a few years now of, of talent? talent There's
0: kind of an, there's kind of an upward trickle going on, right. With talent from the group of five levels. And so, I think it's tougher now for those programs to maintain uh, relative to what it was in the past, right? Like if you, if you found and uncovered a hidden gem and developed them, you had them on your roster. Well, not anymore. (laughs) Yep. So,
1: yeah. So I think that I'm wondering if uh, that's my theory now that that's, what's happening in these kind of, these kind of matchups. So I've got, got Washington state at nine, uh, moving up to eight. I've got Colorado. I mean, they were, I think 10 or 11 on my preseason list. I've moved them up to eight. Again, offense, passing offense, it's crazy, explosive defense, atrocious. So I think eight's a good spot for them.
0: I got Cal at eight. Um, I just, this just seemed like the natural place for them to land. If if they really have improved offensively, like it appears that they improved, um, then they're going to be a lot better than I think we talked about on our preview. Uh, I, I don't know if it's sustainable. We'll see what it looks like when they start playing some good teams. I mean, they play Auburn at home this week, so we're going to get a much better idea of, of who they are and what they, what they can do. Um, but ultimately I think this is a good, good place for Caldeland.
1: And I have Arizona at seven, uh, kind of bringing up the bottom of the, or the top of the bottom half, if you will, Uh 38 to three, I think more, more impressive than the 38 to me is the three. Uh, Arizona has had a tremendously bad defense the last few years. And, and again, I know they only played a, an FCS school in Northern Arizona, but holding them to three points is, it's still a, a good accomplishment for them. Um, I didn't see the game flow or see how many reserves they had in the game or whatever, but I think you know maybe that'll be something to watch this year, so I'll put them in my number seven spot for now.
0: Yeah, I got UCLA at seven. Um, they're, they're a much better football team than seventh, but until Chip makes the right call
1: at quarterback, I'm punishing them. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, he's got to start Dante next week, right? I
0: oh, don't know. It's Chip. chip chip. Chip started will freaking murphy at receiver for 12 games on a national championship team or joe justin hoffman so chip's (laughs) gonna do what chip wants and it's gonna infuriate everybody um while more talented players sit on the bench but it is what it is um at six i got oregon state um this is kind of where i had them preseason. uh i i think that they're a better football team than colorado i think that'll show over the season but i think colorado's performance week one was more impressive so i kept OSU at six and bumped Colorado to five because of that.
1: Wow. Colorado all the way up to five for you. Okay. I've also got Oregon state at six for my, for me, I've got UCLA at five. Um, yeah. Uh, to me, this is where there's a clear, clear top four and everyone else is below it. So UCLA is five.
0: Yeah. Again, to me, it's like, uh, I uh, power rankings. I guess this just depends how you do it. Right. If this was a projection of how I thought these teams were going to finish at the end of the season, it would not look anywhere near what this list looks like. But if again, if it's just a reflection of what we've seen so far, I think this is in my opinion reflective, because I think Colorado beat outside of they might have, Colorado might have beat the best team that anybody played this week. Them or Washington, uh, possibly Utah, but I don't think Florida is going to prove to be very good. Yeah, I don't
1: think Anyways. I don't think, I, don't think, I don't think any of the opponents this week are. A top 25 team no no absolutely not um definitely not i don't i don't think
0: i would be surprised if florida gets the bull eligibility tcu yep. like they better get a lot better quickly because that that schedule um is going to have some doozies on it for them so at four i've got usc uh i think i've got major questions about them defensively still i've got zero questions about caleb williams and the receivers but the offensive line has really struggled to block some pretty mediocre teams uh, and so I need to see more. And so until then, I'm going to keep USC down here at four.
1: I've got Utah at four. You know, we talked about them pretty extensively earlier. I just I think they're very good. I'm not sure they're great. I
0: I agree with you. Long long run, I think USC will be a better team. Um, but today. I don't know who I'd pick if they played, especially if Utah has all their pieces. Cause for Utah, yeah. they're my third team for Utah to play the way that they played with a lot of backups and guys that like pretty missing some pretty important players for them. Uh, I, I just, I can't, I can't in good faith have USC above them when I still think that Lincoln Riley teams are soft.
1: That's fair. I've got USC at three. Um, I think they're off. They could they can. Caleb Williams is, phenomenal and they have great receivers uh i i don't know if they have a running game that's that's not much to speak of i don't know about their offensive line their whole defense i don't have i have a lot of skepticism in right now so they've played two bad teams they've won they haven't exactly looked great on defense against either one and their offensive line has been exposed against both as well so I, i don't know i don't know about usc but they're they're the, i are gonna continue to go be high and for a long time. time.
0: And I think USC Strikes is the type of team that'll play up to who they're playing on a weekly basis. Because that's kind of been a characteristic of Lincoln Riley teams in general. Um at two, I got Washington. Um I think the Boise State obviously is a better win than Portland State. I think Boise State's a pretty good group of five football team. But to me, I still see some problems with Washington defensively. Um and I don't think that we really saw them tested through the air. Not that we saw Oregon tested in anything, really. Uh, but they they didn't block it up on the interior of the offensive line very well. They weren't able to run the ball against a team that, if, you, if you're going to tell me that's the best team in the conference, I'd expect
1: you to be able to run the ball against Boise. Um, yeah, I've got Washington at two as well. I think, obviously, their passing game is elite. But at some point, they're going to have to have a running game. Like, I don't care who you are. At some point, you need to be able to execute a running game at, at critical points in a in a ball game and and we have to see that and i i actually watched the game focused solely on their interior offensive line because i knew they were all three new starters and um i didn't i didn't think they looked very impressive uh I, they didn't they weren't getting a lot of push um in the running game and even in the passing game i thought melee in partic in particular was, was kind of getting pushed around a little bit and it didn't matter against that team and, and you know Penix was just sitting back there you know picking picking who he wanted to throw it to but against a team that can cover better or that has a better pass rush especially a better interior pass rush it'll be interesting to see if those interior guys can hold up a little better and then I think defensively I just don't know like uh you know are they going to be able to stop the run any better than they did last year um, I didn't see it in this game um they didn't get like gashed but they also didn't you know they didn't really look great in against the run either in, in the limited time when it mattered before the game got out of hand so and then we don't really know if their coverage is any better either because right? i don't think boise state had the weapons to test that so you dubs number two and i've got oregon at number one
0: yeah and not to sound like homers like i don't well frankly i don't really care if you think of a homer but um the the reason for me this is simple is oregon looks like the most complete and deep team in the conference um, they haven't been exposed in any phase, and maybe that changes next week against Texas Tech. But um, as of today, like I have less questions about Oregon than I do about any of these other teams.
1: Yeah, I think the depth is the depth is the thing that really stands out to me. Right, that you're not seeing the drop off to the second unit, and especially along the lines of scrimmage where it matters so much. Right, if you have to get into your second unit because of injuries, you know, at the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball. You know, it, it, it's just like, it, it you know, it's the, the, the old cliche next man up, but it really felt like that watching Oregon bring a, a backup offensive lineman or backup defensive lineman into the game, and it really felt like I didn't notice a drop-off there. Again, Portland State, but, you know, you didn't notice a drop-off against the same guys. They were You know, both units were playing, so I think that says something, and, and we'll see that depth kind of play out. And as you said, we're going to get a much better test uh, for some of these teams next week particularly Oregon going on the road to Lubbock and I can't wait to preview that game with you on Wednesday night and and that'll be out available for everyone on Thursday morning.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right, QB, anything else before we call it a night? No, I think we've uh, covered it all pretty good. I'm really looking forward to digging into more Texas Tech film this week. Getting to know their roster a little bit better, watching that Wyoming game. I know a lot of Oregon fans did watch it. I unfortunately was not able to. Uh, and so looking forward to getting into that film and then having a conversation with you about about that game among a, amongst a bunch of other interesting games um, in the Pac-12 and nationally next week. I mean, we got Texas Bama um, in conference, Auburn at Cal, Wisconsin at Washington State are interesting games to me. Uh, and I and I think that there's some other good ones nationally. So really looking yeah. forward to week two and what the, what it brings.
1: Yeah, we gotta we gotta enjoy week two because as has become the case the last several years, week three is a is a hot slate of garbage around the country.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I don't think uh, based on what I saw from Michigan State that that or that Washington Michigan State game is going to deliver much in week three.
1: <laughs> All right, QB, we will talk to you on Wednesday. You know, follow us on Twitter and uh, check out our podcast. Of course, you can subscribe on Apple. Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and Google, Amazon, whatever podcasting platform you listen on, please subscribe. Please go give us a follow. Please give us a rating. Uh, If you want to give us a rating, we will read your review on the air. Uh, So check that out. uh, And uh, we'll be back at you on Thursday morning.